This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Ah, yes, the magnificent Trolley Sourbright Crawler, also known as Trollicus brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy... Staggeringly snackable species, unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are expressive, you're in the moment, you're being spontaneous, you're being able to shape sound uh, on the move, you're not being disengaged from your audience because it's part of your flow. You don't have a barricade of gear around you. I mean, I still use keyboards and I still play acoustic instruments, but I augment them and I, I might add a huge reverb to my voice. And instead of using a slider to do that, I can just raise my arm. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Jason Goodger, Commissioning Editor at BBC Focus magazine. Humans have been creating instrumental music for as long as 40,000 years but it's pioneers like Delia Derbyshire who created the iconic Doctor Who theme in the middle of the 20th century that has seen us move away from the traditional instruments of the past to digital, electronic sounds that we're so familiar with today. Imogen Heap is one such musician. Her electronic pop has seen her climb the charts around the world and collaborate with countless artists rarely off our airwaves. But not content with just accepting the instruments and tools that we have at our disposal, She wants to change the way we write songs and build a future that is more equitable and inclusive to everybody who wants to create music. She speaks to online editor Alexander McNamara ahead of her talk at Futurefest about how blockchain could revolutionise the music industry and why her innovative Mimu gloves are changing the way we create and perform electronic music. So you are obviously Imogen Heap and you've been doing music for quite a long time um and it's pretty technologically awesome uh so my maybe how did you, how did you start creating music using technology 
Uh, well, I've always created music with technology because, you know, technology at different points in time has always uh, come in different forms. And um, even, you know, the piano's piece of technology was the height of its technology back in the day. And uh, so that's where I began, I suppose, my uh, my interaction with technology when I was a little girl. Just um, and even didn't, you know, really dawn on me so much later. But essentially inside the piano we had a thing called a pianola or a piano player where it reads a roll and you have little um you know holes inside the roll and the the wind goes through them and the the um uh, or it sucks out the wind and then you have the the notes go down on the keyboard and that's essentially code in music so at a very early stage I kind of grasped this idea that it didn't have to be playing music to make it happen you could use a thing that would um, read music indifferently and then about at the age of 12 I discovered an Atari computer uh, which had some early sequencing software on it and that really excited me because I didn't have to write stuff down on manuscript I could just type it in and I would have like different layers of sounds and that was about 28 years ago and so from there yeah just learned about sound recording and and just every time I just felt like I reached a point with the technology where I it wasn't doing what I wanted or I'd explored as much as it, I felt it could do, then I started to look elsewhere for inspiration. And and then in, in some cases, it started to develop the technology myself because there wasn't anything I could buy that did what I wanted it to do. Um, and that's where I went into making the Mimi gloves, which were essentially just a passion project to enable me to create music on the, uh, on, on the move and uh, be able to reach inside my computer without having to connect via a, a keyboard and a mouse um, and push buttons when I wanted to do something like capture my voice and move it around the room I could do it gesturally and um, so that it's just a slow progression but always a nice dance with technology and um, yeah I mean it's everyone everyone interfaces <laughs> with technology I'm talking to you on a phone mm. um, the, the the sort of um tech that you've used has definitely changed over time and as you say you mentioned your Mimu gloves um how does that compare to something that you were using on like your first album um well my first album was yeah we we recorded on a tape to tape so a 24 inch track recorder um we had a mixing desk an analog mixing desk so it didn't remember moves you had to move it manually um and yeah, so that all the kind of processing in terms of how you got sound in and how you uh, augmented that sound or changed that sound was all done through analog equipment. Um, so if you wanted to compress something or if you wanted to add a reverb, you had to do it through a mechanical way um, and uh, or record it in a room. But now you can just, uh, you know, digitally recreate, uh, electronically recreate that effect inside a, a, what's called a plugin so you can have a music system like that would have cost me and did cost i needed a record deal in order to make a to make an album back in the day because you needed to access these huge pieces of equipment in order to get music down onto a cd you know and all the processing around that but now all of that's disappeared you can just you know create music in a box inside your laptop and you can distribute it on the internet and you just don't need any of that kit so it means everyone and anyone can can basically do what I would have access to pretty much that same stuff that I would have needed a record deal to do and a big label to do and I would have to give them a large piece of my um, you know my my IP uh, as a result of that whereas now it's very fluid and I think the problem that we now have is just so much noise so many so much music um, 
uh, with no release solution. I mean, we're getting better at discovery, curation of data and discovery, uh, you know, with algorithms and people you know, curating more and more. But it's, it's an incredible amount of music that's being uploaded every second of every day. And uh, systems are hard, finding it hard to cope, which has led me to my next uh, my next project, which is to help um, discovery of artists and, uh, you know, different revenue streams for artists outside of, you know, the tiny amounts that streaming can bring. And that project to help discovery of artists, is that your, what, what's that project? How's, how are we going to do that? Um, well, so for three and a half years, I've been uh, basically following one conversation I had with a friend of mine called Zoe Keating when I was introduced to this technology called blockchain technology. And it really inspired me uh, to think of the music industry I wanted to exist. I started to blue sky imagine what I what I felt was missing and how we could help solve those um, problems. And it really comes down to uh, we're needing an open database of songs so that all of the music industry and all the services can interface with a collective database of songs so that you can access the stuff that you need to know about a musician, how to pay a musician, who has the splits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because at the moment we have siloed databases, which makes it very hard for services to innovate and it makes it you know, very hard for musicians to know how their money got to them if they get any at all, uh, who took a cut along the way. Um, and it's often, you know, well, it is extremely fragmented and very inefficient. So I start to imagine a set of a data set of songs and a data set of music makers. And upon that ground layer, if we could, if we can envision that, if we could bring that to life, then the music industry can truly flourish because it has this kind of core protocol and data layer to, to grow from. And so, yeah, we call that creative passport. So I'm not going to deal with the songs database bit because that's, you know, that's a big, that's a big one. But on an individual level, every music maker can create themselves an identity and, you know, put their flag in the sand and be open for business, data empowered, sharing their skill sets and their projects, connecting to their works uh, on a database or existing databases and becoming, you know, a beacon of their data to help generate better collaboration in business and creative collaboration. Um, unearthing all of the unseen music makers around the world um, and making them discoverable by a machine or human. So we call them the Creative Passport, and that's why I'm here today at Future Fest showcasing this um, this idea for a vision of a music industry. And in September, we're going to have a basic app which music makers can peer-to-peer verify one another. So if you were a music maker, I don't know if you are, maybe you are, in your spare time, you might play the guitar or you might write the odd lyric. Um, and if I had probably met you, and I assume you are who you are, I can verify you if we'd met together today and um, and uh, verify your, your music, uh, make a creative passport. And then you can then go and verify your friends and they can go and verify their friends. And we start to create a, a very powerful um, ground layer for the music industry once they start to see once we start to become visible of how many hundreds of thousands and potentially millions we are all around the world um, into places where the music industry doesn't even touch you know or isn't even really connected to like you know 50% of Africa um, where there is no revenue uh, streams for music makers at all um, so by building this ground layer we can truly connect and make a truly global music industry um, and a community that we can, that, that where people come to start to come to us directly, mm. and we can start to shape our own future by by just being extremely useful to the music <laughs> ecosystem. And and it's blockchain that is that that verification uh, that's in there that's that's leading everyone to say, okay, I'm working with you, 
uh, and then everyone you work with, that's verifying it all across the board? The the system is verifying, yes. So the, the, the information around who you are, what you do, your skill sets, that, that's not going to be sitting in the blockchain. But that kind of, yes, I verified this person, this, verif- this person verified this person. Um, and the hashing of that history goes into the blockchain. Um, but actually, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about doesn't go anywhere near the blockchain. Um, and, cu- and currently, that will be a centralized database because, you know, decentralizing is will will involve a lot more um, collaboration, a lot more development, and a lot more money. Um, so at this stage, we're just doing what we can see in the headlights, and we're just enabling people to connect to one another, and we're going to visualize that on a map so people can start to see how big many we are, and then from that, you know, just do what we can see in the headlights as and when technology becomes available for us to um, to move that into the decentralized space and to look at governance, um, to look to look to inspiration in nature, actually, how nature uh, thinks about, or doesn't really think about it, but how it does govern itself um, and, uh, and is sustainable. Look, at, look to nature for inspiration into how to develop this system uh, because ultimately I don't want to have, like, myself and a board of people being, like, the directors of the board of Mycelia Creative Passport. We want it to be open, decentralized, and for pockets of music makers to help govern and help uh, lead areas of the technology and the move forwards um, by being empowered to be able to make those changes within their own system. So it's, it's sort of like a network of uh, the musicians and the other people that do it, all the creatives around it. Uh, is it just, as, at the moment, we, uh, you're obviously a musician, but is it limited to just people who create music or is it to others as well who could create other form of the arts, like um, you know, paintings or literature or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, in time, we, you know, hopefully this can create some kind of precedent for to, to show, you know, what we believe is that kind of um, a great you know, a huge amount of innovation can flourish from this and, and money can better flow to encourage ind- other industries where there is equal or, or worse fragmentation, such as the film industry, um, to create that connective tissue for the film directors and the actors and, you know, the, the script writers and all these people um, so that, you know, it can show precedent for this is going to help your industry. It's not going to do you out of a job. It's going to augment your industry by adding this missing layer. Um, it's going to be better for all. So, but what we're going to do is just start with what we can do because I'm a music maker, so I'm just going to start here. But if other people want to, like, you know, take our technology, it's open source, and develop that uh, for their own um, arts sector in the arts, brilliant. Um, I mean, I've also, you know, we develop these meme gloves, and a lot of people see obviously a kind of, uh, you know, relevance in how it might work in, say, um, you know, graphics or architecture or designing a, yeah designing a building so you could do that gesturally or um all kinds of things that you could do with a pair of gloves that are data you know data gloves um with the incredible kind of flexibility and um low latency or no latency that the gloves have so but we but we're just doing what we know which is the music side and make and really make that just shine um and then see if you know but we've got to do what we can do first yeah <laughs> Um, I, I just want to uh, go back to those um, gloves again because you were saying that they're very sort of uh, gestural and uh, could help uh, create things. H- how is it that they actually work? How, how if you'd be able to sort of just explain what you can do with the gloves, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll speak as if somebody has no idea about any music making software. Um, so 
uh, currently a musician will go into a studio and they'll record uh, an instrument. That could be a guitar, that could be their voice, but it could equally be a synthesizer. It could be a digital, you know, electronic instrument which doesn't have like it'll probably be limited to a keyboard, an interface with other sounds that aren't um, acoustic instruments. So, or even if you're playing a stringed instrument, you're pretty much limited to a keyboard to play that stringed instrument. And there's another keyboard called Roly, which you can, you know, have different parameters. Like you might want to add vibrato with an extra press of, a harder press of your finger, or or you could actually make that vibrato on a, on, a, on a string but on a keyboard um, but you're tied down to one place and you're limiting your whole body to just what your hands can do in the position at a keyboard and say you wanted to make a sound that kind of sounds like um, how do you do that uh, in one you know using a keyboard where you've just got like black and white notes and maybe a, a button or a, or a, um, a pan but, or a, a pot I don't know what the word is um <laughs> Uh, 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 oh god anyway um, not not a switch but like a uh, a turny knob thing a knob (laughs) um so but then your whole one whole hand is consumed by turning that knob to make something go um so with the gloves you have your you have up down left right you have pitch which is like moving your hand up and down you've got your which is moving your hand left and right and then you've got um, roll, which is like twisting your hand. You've got all of these different parameters that you can use at any one time, and you've also got directions: front, you know, front, back, up, right, down, left, right. Um, and then you've also got accelerometer peaks. So when you, you know, hit a peak, then a drum, tr- a drum trigger could trigger, for example. Um, or you might want to uh, fade between two different sounds as your hand goes up and down. Or uh, so many possibilities. And then combined with that, the gloves. Essentially, you teach your gloves what gestures you want to use, what postures you want to use. So I have one finger point, open hand, fist, you know, T finger, what I call T finger, secret finger, lots of different with um, nine or so different postures. And that combined with the um, accelerometer data and the positional data, you can create a huge uh, opportunity for mapping, which is greatly different um, and, uh, and immediate and um, expressive than working with current off-the-shelf equipment. I mean, I've I've watched uh, a video of you using it, and it's just incredible to think that as you're moving around, you're creating these sounds, and it's all happening there and then. It seems like it's very organic um, as compared to a lot of uh, electronic instruments, which, as you say, they seem quite defined already. Yeah, you you are you are expressive you're in the moment you're being spontaneous you're being able to shape sound uh, on the move you're not being disengaged from your audience because you're it's part of your flow um you don't have a barricade of gear around you i mean i still use keyboards and i still play the piano and i still you know play acoustic instruments but i augment them and i, I might add a huge reverb to my voice and instead of using a slider to do that um i can just raise my arm in the sky, you know, raise it up, and then you hear this big cavernous reverb start to emerge. Um, or I might put my hand to my mouth and uh, close my fist, and that will capture that that particular sound. And I could create a loop with that, and I could move it around the, the stereo or the or the surround field. So um, there's so many. It, it, the, the only thing about the gloves, in my opinion, um, is that you can get completely lost in all the possibilities and it it really takes another skill that we currently, you know, it's that kind of, um, kind of, you can, you can get lost, um, in the possibilities and you sometimes have to create, uh, boundaries within your, 
within your performance, within your songwriting, to to stop you from going down too many wormholes that you have possibilities that you currently you don't have previous to that. It's, it's, it's when you say you were talking about like the Atari uh, earlier on. It's just like I remember many years ago playing on the Atari, just going, "There is so much information here. There's so much happening," and uh, that's happened quite a lot. I've tried to make electronic particularly unsuccessfully over the years um <laughs> but i found often found that it is that barrier is just there's so much information that is coming in um how will these gloves be used for just you know is it just going to be like really experienced electronic music pros or will it be open to people who are you know like me less capable um well in terms of there'll always be the you know they don't have a sound engine um you would need to connect it to a music software such as ableton or program a bit with max msp or you know to make the sounds that you want to make it doesn't just magically you know make sounds for you or create a song for you it's really um a kind of interface between your existing technology that you use and being able to get closer to the performative and the creative side um without with just your body um more intuitive but in the, at the moment there is a learning you know you will have to learn if you don't know how to use ableton but in the future you know we, you know we're just kind of self-funded group at the moment but we, we do hope to go live with a with a manufacturable glove by the end of the year maybe um and so who knows when that possibility happens what we can then start to develop but currently yeah you do have to be at a certain level of knowledge to be able to use the gloves um but having said that we have developed a, a little glove called the mini mu which is uh, going to be on the shelves hopefully in september and this is a um a glove that you can build and code yourself and it's it's really generated to, uh, kind of focusing towards kids um, but it's their, it can be their first foray into music and technology, um, and we're, we're really quite excited about that. And that's a very simple, you know. But you, but with that, you can then connect to our software called Glover, so you can actually use professional um, systems like you know Ableton or Pro Tools, or well, maybe not Pro Tools. It's a bit difficult because um, it's a mapping is not so good. But um, for live software like Ableton, it's really amazing. You can just get up and running in no time. Uh, you know, even with these. The, the mini mu gloves can do pretty cool things so in short there is a bit of a learning curve um because unless you know the software that's out there um you know you're going to find it even harder to then figure out what you actually want to do with the gloves because off the shelf they won't suddenly start making noises but you know after a year or so we, we might get to that point where we develop a sound engine and it is all kind of in the box as it were hmm. It sounds cool. I, I, I like the idea of just small people with these little gloves making wacky music and all that sort of thing. I, you know, I've seen small people hit at pianos and go, "That's really cool." I like what the sound is, but just given uh, this technology, how how far can we take it to to get people, you know, especially young people and children, just really sort of taking music to a different level? Very quickly, yeah. In about three hours of a workshop, by the end of it, they've built and coded the gloves. And they're just like, wow, I didn't realise that I could do that. And then they're like looking forward to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of like inspirational for you as a musician to see this happening. It is extremely. And I, I, we have 40 what we call glovers at the moment. And they're users in, um, you know, actually in graphics as well, in robotics. Um, but other performers, like there's a girl called Chagall. 
um, C-H-A-G-A-A-L-L, if you want to check her music out. She does loads of glove music and performs, you know, quite a lot in London and around um, a Dutch a Dutch uh, artist. And she, you know, I get really inspired by um, how she works with the gloves. And But actually my greatest inspiration in terms of the users that we have um, is a guy called Chris Halpin. And he... He, we met him through an organisation called the Drake Foundation, and they work with musicians with disabilities uh, through tech. And they bought a pair of Mimi gloves, and Chris Halpin has been playing with them, writing with them, performing with them. He's got cerebral palsy, um, and his condition got so so much worse over a period of time that he wasn't able to play the guitar chords that he wanted to play live anymore. And he kind of thought his days were numbered in terms of his music career, but actually they've really flourished since he's been working with the gloves because they're customizable to the to the users. So if on one day he's feeling, you know, less flexible or or um, able than another day, then his gloves can help him counteract that, and um, he can retrain his gloves. And he's taught us so much in terms of what our software can do, and he's a really huge inspiration. And his music is. You know, he plays basically, he can, he does loads of things, but one of the things he does was create really like heavy rock guitar with these gloves. And it's just amazing to see. <laughs> That's it, like seeing heavy rock is just one thing that you just don't associate with electronic uh, instruments, no. as it were. <laughs> you know, it, it must be pretty like diverse, the sort of things that you can create with it, if that's the case. Yeah, I mean... Just even for me, for the last six or seven years, been working with that um, understanding of space and time and posture, gesture. Um, it makes me think about music differently. It makes me think about what's ca- what I'm capable of. It actually helps me to simplify my work um, because with so little, you can do so much and be so effective. Whereas in the past, I might layer, you know, tons and tons of instruments live to try to create that. Um, try to create something that's closer to the experience that I might do in the studio, um, the very layered effect. So, you know, lots of loops, lots of effects, but I'd always be changed to my laptop. But now I feel very comfortable in actually much less because I can have such um, exploration in one sound and in the manipulation around that sound, the creativity around that sound with, with just a pair of gloves and my voice. And, you know, so it, it has changed the way I think about um, creating creativity and performance hugely for me so i imagine it will for others it does for others <laughs> do you think this will sort of be the future of music or will we still have like i mean we've been playing guitars and pianos and pianos for a long time guitars 50 years or 60 years or so you know never 50 years time are we going to ditch stringed instruments and just be all whacking no, our no. hands around i really hope not no i mean this isn't something to replace you know the stuff which is great and beautiful and it's not to put it's not in any way to um take place of those acoustic and you know incredibly skilled musicians that play those instruments it's you could imagine a violinist playing the playing the violin but augmenting their sound by live looping and creating effects as the you know how they move around the stage they might go into one side of the stage and it might start to harmonize over themselves or they might start to walk over this side of the stage and create you know a weird effect or a distortion effect without taking them out of the flow of the performance. Um, so I think it's more like an extra layer uh, of expression rather than an alternative to a music instrument. It's it's more um, kind of adaptation than... Uh, it's not generating sound itself. That was musician Imogen Heap 
talking to us ahead of her talk at this year's Future Fest. If you want to listen to her talk or watch some more of the incredible performances by musicians using the Mimu gloves, visit sciencefocus.com today. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Science Focus podcast on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. The September issue of BBC Focus magazine is out this week. In it, we look at the future of food, from how farming is preparing for population growth and climate change, as well as what we'll be eating in 2028. And we also delve deep into the minds of psychopaths, uncover crimes using DNA ancestry kits, and ask why people believe conspiracy theories that fly in the face of scientific evidence. As always, there's much, much more inside. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.